I do a lot of uh, reflective thinking, especially lately, as far as um, trying to figure out how I can encourage you, encourage us as a staff to keep focusing on what we need to focus on. Uh, in reality, God's taught me that nothing changes that's important. God's still in charge. He still loves. We still have a mission. That hasn't changed. All the circumstances change. It, but it will never change. If you have cancer, if you have a heart attack, everything really that's important stays the same. You still understand that God is there, that you're to honor him through that circumstance. I mean, nothing changes that's really important. You say, so life can change. We all know that. We know life changes in a heartbeat. And healthy people live in the context of reality. And life changes. But God doesn't. And so when you, you put your life into perspective, you begin to realize, okay, I'm going to really throw my capital, my thinking process to where it doesn't change. I'm going to do that. I, I, this is Lake Superior, and I, I don't know what science studies droplets of water, but there is one, limnology scientists or whatever they're called. Uh, the Great Lakes Basin offers 20% of the world's fresh water. 20% of all the fresh water in the world is right here in the Great Lakes. 10% of the, the people of the United States get their water from uh, the Great Lakes. Lake Superior, which by its name tells you it's the biggest, is 483 feet deep at its deepest point. 160 miles long and 350 miles wide. That is one large lake. More than 200 rivers feed that lake. That's where my fascination is. As uh, Solomon said, you know, that the rivers, they keep flowing into the sea, but the sea never fills up. Do you know how many gallons of water flows into that lake? I don't either. The limnology people will tell you, I guess, but a lot. What I did is I broke it down even further to droplets. Because that's what I think I want to compare us to, the droplets that are flowing towards the lake. See, those, those rivers and the droplets that are formed and, and, and travel in these little tributaries and these little creeks. And the whole goal is to travel into the lake, to fill the lake that's never filled. Think about that. If you're a droplet, these limnologists say it will take 191 years for you to leave the river and get to where you would leave Lake Superior into St. Mary's River to feed Lake Huron. I don't know how they figured that out. That's why I qualified it. I, I didn't go into their scientific study. I'm just saying that's what they say. Now, obviously, there's flaws in there. There could be evaporation. There could be all kinds of stuff. But the, the whole point is that, really, the lake is not, we look at it, we see water. It's really a bunch of droplets that make the water. And each droplet contributes to the water. And yet, each droplet, we might look at it and go, insignificant. Well, all those droplets added together is the lake. I mean, we might look at our lives in the same way and say, insignificant. No, all, all the people added together is the body. It's, it's what God's doing. It, we, we have the same purpose. We're filling the lake. We're, we're the people that God's using to show the world who he is. That's our purpose. Regardless of what river we're in and tributary we're in, what droplet, what we're experiencing around us, the goal is to fill the lake. And then one day to realize that We'll travel through that lake and out. The droplets, according to them, that were there 191 years ago, aren't there anymore. But the lake's still full. I was reading uh, a history. Believe it or not, all these little drops, and I could have gone on forever, are, are part of our history here. That's hard to see, but see, they're all droplets of things that influenced each other in time. We don't, we don't know these people, and we do not really understand it. Emmanuel Baptist Church, I have a little history thing here that Berta obviously did, because it was finished in 74, and she was there, and it's mimeographed, which is her trademark. 
It's the history of Emmanuel Baptist Church, which was in 74, still called a Baptist Church, and it got changed to Bible Church. It was founded in 1899 as the Bohemian, I gotta read that because I can't even remember, Emmanuel Bohemian Baptist Church of Chicago. Kept moving around as it grew, and before you know it, they were the largest Bohemian, Czechoslovakian, Polish church in the, in the world. That's where we come from. The, the history of their pastors who just got up every day, did what was right, loved the people around them, shepherded them. In uh, 1958, they bought 20 acres of land near Twin Lakes, Wisconsin, and started a camp. For some reason, the Bohemian Baptist, Emmanuel, whatever they are, had a camp at Twin Lakes in 1958 because they thought kids need to get away. That's pretty amazing when you think about it. Forward thinking. I, I just want to throw some droplet names out there for you. Some of you that are, and I don't want to go into history. You can go look these names up if you want. There are people who were just normal people. All of a sudden, something happened to. And they were in the Chicago area, and it's all part of our history, believe it or not. Billy Sunday. He was a baseball player for the Chicago White Stockings, I think they were called back then. He was an evangelist. Very influential in Chicago. Paul Rader. Paul Rader was influenced. He was eventually the pastor of Moody Church, and he was influenced greatly by Billy Sunday and everything that was going on in, in those days. And Paul Rader was the guy where Doc Latham was at the Chicago Tabernacle that Paul Rader was at and played his piano for him. And Doc Latham became one who was a believer and became a pastor who was my dad's pastor. Droplets. Not, not only that, from that, Art Rohrheim came to know Christ. Art Rohrheim mentored, and he's the founder, really, of Awana. He mentored my dad because my dad's dad was a drunk. We mentor kids. Droplets. Can you imagine my, my dad came to Christ because some, as he put it, old lady told him to go to Sunday school. And he did, and he came to Christ. Some old lady, you know, I don't even know her name. Some droplet somewhere. In the process, his friends came to know Christ. My dad's best friend when he was young, his name was Paul. Paul died of polio. Art Rohrheim had been mentoring them, and they were his young people. As a young age, uh, my dad was going to be a missionary, and Paul, well, he was going to be a pastor. And while we were walking down Sawyer Lake Road before my dad died, one day he looked at me and he said, you know why I've done what I've done? I imagine I'm going to hear it. I made a promise to God when my buddy Paul died. My brother's middle name is Paul, by the way. I said, what was that? I stood by Paul's casket. And I said, God, I'll do the work of two men. I have to. Paul's not here. You look at what happened. Two camps, two churches, two sons in our ministry. I don't know if God answered it or not, but it sure looks like it. Droplets. Faithfulness. What's really incredible is I read these lists of people. I knew these people. Not, I didn't know Billy Sunday or Paul Rader. I knew Doc Latham. I sat out here and talked to him several times about life, about God, about grace. Art Rohrheim, the year he died, at, he was almost 100 years old, wasn't he, when he died? He would give me a call and just talk. My dad was like his son. You come to my office, I have two little plaques from him of the original floor of Moana. I kept one of them especially because I can't spell and he misspelled steadfast on it. So I have it written there with his writing. He gave me a steadfast word I think he made up. It's on a piece of wood that's sitting in my office. Droplets. Just 
Back in those days, in order to get, what they did was Doc and Art had this club at their church in Northside Gospel Center. My dad was in it. You saw Carden last night. When my dad got a little older, he was Carden's leader in that club. Droplets. Just little droplets that forming rivers that are going to a sea. The, the faithfulness of the droplet. Not, not necessarily one droplet making the difference. But the faithfulness of all of them, the faithfulness of Billy Sunday, Paul Rader, Doc Latham, Art Rohrheim. My dad told me when they started, I wanted, I didn't have any money, so he went out and he, he took, collect, had paper drives every Saturday. They just go collect people's newspapers and turn them in. Made a few cents every Saturday. From this came Awana. New Tribes Bible Mission. And the list really goes on. That's incredible. From this group. Do you know that this group went through depressions, world wars? The assassination of Martin Luther King, JFK, Robert Kennedy. Al Capone ruled the streets in Chicago, where they all were. We're under tough times, but the droplets kept being droplets. They kept ministering to the people that they could. In the way that they could. If you look up there, Camp Mishawana. See, after the camp in Twin Lakes, after I, I forget all the, I don't know all the details. This is not an overly detailed booklet. But the details were something that, after a while, they, they joined forces at Camp Mishawana. And in that process, Camp Mishawana started. And then, and then my dad went to Midwest Bible Church, which is another inner city camp, and started Phantom Ranch. And then after that, moved to Lawndale, Bohemian, whatever. And by then they dropped the Bohemian name and started to have services in English. And they already bought property in Berwyn. And guess what? In 1968, when they, 67, 68, when they bought this property, they were moving to a church on Ogden Avenue. I don't know how they did all this. Droplets. Faithful droplets. All I remember is faithful droplets that filled the sea that we call Silver Birch Ranch right now. It's interesting, you know, Truman, who was at Fort Wilderness, was my dad's Sunday school teacher. I used to go just talk with Truman, and he, he lent my dad his car, their fir his first date, and was nervous the whole night that he'd get it back without smashing it up. Because my dad didn't have a dad. Droplets. Paul Radar went on. He was at the Moody Church. Clarence Jones founded HCJB. Those are part of this group. Tori Johnson founded Youth for Christ. Doc Latham, Awana, Tr New Tribes, Camp Awana. Droplets. They got up every day. They said, we need to do this. We need to do that. We just need to do it. Why? Kids need Jesus. Rich Wager didn't have a dad. Do something to help this boy understand God. Droplets. You wonder why we have tennis courts here? Because Doc Latham put him in at Awana. We had to have him here. At 4 o'clock at Awana, Doc Latham had the courts reserved for himself to play tennis for an hour. In the early years here, my dad played tennis at 4 o'clock. Droplets. Not overly significant, but droplets. It's interesting, the oral history, it intertwines in, with a Chicago manufacturer and inventor called Andrew, I, I can't pronounce his last name, Wisbinskvik or something, who was an active layman among evangelistic work. Among the other topics discussed in early, um, He's the one that helped them get Chicago Tabernacle started and a bunch of other things. They got a business guy coming in, seeing the need, starting to help. Droplets. Business people combining with teachers, combining with pastors. Nobody can do it on their own. But as the droplets form the river, and the river moves toward the lake, eventually the lake gets filled. As insignificant as all of us droplets are, 
God only wants us to be that droplet that travels and fills the lake. You know that um, Paul Rader became a believer because of Pacific Garden Mission. Another tie into the droplets. They had Pacific Garden Mission because they put this mission right in the middle of the district where the prostitutes were in the droplets. They needed help. In some weird way, we're here today because of the faithfulness of those who were at Pacific Garden Mission. Billy Sunday, who gave up his baseball career. Paul Radar, Raider, who decided to dedicate his life to teaching the Bible. I have a whole list of things that I don't want to go into because we'd be here forever just talking about these droplets in history. I invite you to go back and look at them. The Paul Raiders, the Billy Sundays, the Doc Lathams, the, the history of Iwana, that kind of stuff. Because that's all tied into this place and the people that are here now. Oh, I know we come from all over, but that's what droplets do. They end up coming from places and joining and ending up filling the same lake. I want to go through some different points that I want you to think about with this in context. As I think about what we need to do in the United States of America today as, as effective droplets, I have some ideas. Because I think there's some things, both culturally and in, with our churches in America today, I think we need to think about some things. So I ask you to think about these things. We need to feed the river these droplets, and we need to fill the sea. I, we just need to keep that in mind. By that, I mean we need to demonstrate who God is. That's filling the sea. We need to show his faithfulness, whatever it is, whatever our circumstance is. The goal is to fill that lake. We can do it. The first point is very simple. We as a nation, we as a people need to understand that different gifts and different positions have the same responsibility, even though they're different. One of the great concerns I have in our country right now is everybody thinks that different is bad. When I talk to kids, I talk to them about the difference. I said, you guys, a lot of times with kids, I said, you know that men and women are different? They all, yeah. They really are. From the time they're conceived in the mother's womb, the, there's certain things that happen that make a woman a woman and a man a man. Here's what the nation is struggling with. Uh, well, is one better than the other? No, they're different. They have different roles. They're different. Different doesn't mean better or worse. It means different. My fingers aren't my toes. They're different. If you'd ask me which one's better, I would look at you like you're silly. I, I don't know which one's better. They're different. I'm really glad I have both. Knees and elbows and shoulders, different. No better, no worse, just different. Our nation doesn't get that. We, want, we think that if, if you have money, if you're poor, if you're a male or you're a female or you're Put an ethnicity in there. It, it, that is, is, it's better or worse. Why not celebrate the different? Each of you in ministry, you're different. You have different gifts. You have different abilities. Nobody wants you to have different abilities. Dan doesn't ask me to build anything for some reason. I've never pretended to be the guy that could. I know I can get Dan running, just pick up a hammer and tell him to go to build something. For some reason, Jim stole my idea out there and built it all. My job isn't to do that. It's to make you successful, and I'm that droplet. There's different droplets. You do different things, and there's not one that's better. It's not better to be mechanical than it is to be a cook. I mean, that's not better. It's different. I'm concerned because we, we tend to want to erase differences in our culture and in our nation, even within our church, we want. But, but difference is what brings the aroma to life. It's, it's, what, it, what, it's what makes life interesting. To celebrate the differences. But we're all the droplets going the same way. Just different droplets. Christianity, we seem to have lost some of the simplicity and we've become more corporate looking for ways to make everything the same. It's really not. What's interesting, you look at the Bible, we're told that uh, who much is given, much is required. So, 
the obvious idea is that to some people, there's a lot given. To some others, there's not as much given. You might look at that and say, I want it all to be the same. It's not. Never has been, never will be. Luke uh, 12, 48, but the one who did not know and did, and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much is given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. I, I've read that often. I think, you know, God, we here at Silver Birch Ranch have been given a tremendous amount. We have been given such a, an example of your faithfulness. We have been given opportunity. We, we have been given a clear path of, to understand who you are and a mission to make you known. We're going to be held accountable to that. There's some people like, you know, I mean, it's, it's one thing, and I talk to NBI students about this a lot. It's one thing to, to make decisions out of ignorance. It's another to make decisions when you know what's right, but to choose to go wrong. Those are two different paths. But for us in America, for us, you know, I understand that, that I'm not Dan Batts, and, and I'm not one of you. I'm me. And I will be held accountable to being me by God, not to being you. I'll be held accountable for being me. With, with all of the gifts and abilities that he's given me and all of the limitations he's given me, he knows what they are. And I'm going to be held accountable for those, not, not for yours, because we're different. But that doesn't mean the same thing. Here's what's the same. You are going to be held accountable for yours. That's what's the same. The accountability thing from God. Not the same level. The same from him. And he knows how to do that. I went through and I read some old timers. And again, I, there's often much more research than I can give you because I would just end up reading this stuff who talked about the importance of understanding that really in God's sight we're all the same, but he entrusts us with different things. Look at what he's entrusted you to. Be the best at that. Understand that one day you will stand accountable to him for all of the resources that he's entrusted to you, whether they be talent or time, money, Whatever it might be, we will stand before God accountable for that. And it will all be different. I remember as a kid, for a while I was in a wheelchair and in and out of a wheelchair. I'm telling you, when you're in a wheelchair for a while, you realize you can't do everything that everyone else does. You feel like you're the mistake of creation. God wouldn't hold me accountable to something if I'm in a wheelchair, as if I'm not in it. You see, that's the droplet thing. We're all unique. We're not all the same. But we'll all be held accountable the same. In Matthew 25, it says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who has called his servants to entrust him with property. And you know this one, but I'm going to read it to you. To one he gave five talents, to another... One, to, each, uh, to, to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you have delivered me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. That's a key line in the Bible. You have been faithful over a little, you droplet. You've been a faithful droplet. That's all I've asked of you. You've been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also had the two talent came forward saying, Master, you delivered me two talents and I had made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. See the sameness where it comes? 
doesn't come in what you've got. It comes in how you're judged. We're all going to be judged the same. What did you do with what God gave you? But we're not all the same. But his master, his, uh, when the one master, I knew you would be a hard man. This is the one that got one. Reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you, where you scattered no seeds. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. I didn't do anything with what you gave me. That one was evil. Why? I didn't do anything with what you gave me. See, if, if he would have just taken it and done something with it, that's what all of them got judged the same with. But they all had different levels. They weren't going to end up the same. I am very concerned about this in our culture as I, as I read what's going on in politics and around the nation. It's like, same, same, same. You can't be. You can't be. That it, it will never be. Even in the dictatorships or whatever, the dictators are always rich and there's always poor. You know? Nothing says any of that's right. It's just an acknowledgement. This is the way it is in life. Whether it be talent. You know, some people, I remember as an athlete, I remember watching some guys. Tony Rutson, remember Tony? That guy was an athlete. You know, I thought I was an athlete until I ran into him. Literally, playing football out in the field. He ran me over. I'm thinking, wait a minute, I'm a defensive end from college. You just ran over me. What were you? Running back. You're a little guy. He was a phenomenal athlete. And I'm thinking, I got ripped off. No, I'm a different droplet. I'm a different droplet. I realized that my, when I got hurt my senior year and I couldn't play football anymore. And I, I realized I, I was sitting at a table talking to God about it, moaning. And it was almost as if God spoke to me. He didn't, but it was almost as if he did, saying, this isn't the, your course in life, this football stuff. Get out of it. Yeah, but my buddies, I, that's their course. Quit looking at their course and trying to make it your course. I got a course for you. It doesn't have to do with that. Get out of there. Droplets. I think healthy people realize and they appreciate the differences. You know, I, I, I was talking to a guy who had some resources, and they're saying, how much money, how much, and this is my standard answer, and for some reason I get older, people ask me this more, how much money should you put away somewhere? And so I have no idea. And so... Immediately, I laugh and say, so you glad you asked me? I gave you no answer. I said, but I will tell you this. If you trust your money, you're a fool. I, I don't know if God wants you to have $5 million in the bank or he wants you to have $5 in the bank. I have no idea. If you were my dad, he died at 60. He didn't need a whole pile of money. You're going to live to be 150. You probably need some. I have no idea what God's doing because we're all different drops of water. But I tell you this, that here's the, the same judgment thing. Here's the same thing. If you trust your money, you're going to regret that. That's the same thing for all of us. I don't care how much money you have. So you see, the problem is, I think, that Satan takes some real beautiful principles like sameness that we will have the same. We'll be judged by God. We'll be judged. That's going to be the same. But then he tries to apply it to everything else. And so then you have a hard time enjoying the differences in each other. I, I love Jim. Uh, I love watching go him build things. Why? I don't think like you do. I just don't think that way. So I actually appreciate. It. I go, that's cool. I, that's cool. I, that's okay. We can rejoice in the fact that somebody does something. We can't even understand how they did it. Applaud it. See, they're different. They're a different droplet, but they've still got the same goal. Your goal is the same as my goal. See, that's the droplet thing. We're still going the same way. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and the one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. I think if we're going to be people who are doing God's work, we understand that line. What we want to do is start in all the little areas of our life. Honesty, honesty, honesty. Satan, Satan is the father of lies. Somehow he gets us to lie, somehow, to ourselves. You know, if I lied to Brad, I would feel terrible about myself. But if I lied to me, I don't care. There has to be a way for you to know the truth because it's the little things in life that actually are going to matter. Because we're droplets. It's those little things that Satan starts to work on. The, the idea is like, oh, every, every, you know, you're, you're being demeaned because this person is more important than you. There's nobody more important than anybody else that's sitting in this room. 
We're all droplets. Do different jobs. But droplets. If then you have not been faithful with the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? God just saying, you know what? If you're not faithful in those little things, why am I going to give you more? Well, that makes sense. Why would I give you more when you haven't proven faithfulness in what I've given you? That's little. And he goes on to say you can't serve God and money. Do you know, again, that's the same advice for the poor, the middle class, and the rich. You can serve money regardless of your income. You can serve it if you're poor. You can live for it. You can wish for it. You can, you can live for it if you're rich. I know that because you got it. So you could live for it, I guess. It's the same for all of us there. Whoever does not bear his own cross. I love this verse. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. I mean, think about the cross of Christ. It was his purpose for coming. And, and, and if you look at the words here, it says, whoever does not bear, what, his own cross. Not your cross, my cross. And I think of that, I think, God, what was the purpose of you putting me on this planet? Now, now I know some of the general stuff that's the same. So I know the same stuff. A drop of the water to the sea, I got that part. I got the part that I need to show the world who God is. I got, I, that's the, I got that part. Got that. But the, other, the others, I may not always have because my own cross, see, it could be my dad's cross. What was it? I don't know. Was it the day he stood in front of that buddy of his, Paul, who died of polio, where he understood that his role in life had to be this? Unique role. He had a unique personality. It, it, not everybody can walk grounds up here, go and borrow money, and start a camp while they're building a church. That's unique. And some people think, well, i got to be like that. And unless you're him, you know, I mean, again, that's the droplet thing. He teamed up with Roy Tosh back then, who built buildings and didn't do that, but he built buildings. And before you know it, they're building buildings and doing stuff. One guy was building and one guy was having faith. It's the way it worked. Different drops. But they were doing the same thing. Jesus came, he had his cross, he knew it. If, if I am going to be one, and this is so critical for each of us, because this is what we do here. We're followers of Christ. And if we're going to be followers of Christ, we need to be convinced that he put us on this earth for a purpose. And we need to pick up that purpose every day. We need to pick it up. Look at it. Notice I didn't say, so the circumstances are okay for you, easy. That's not what we're talking about. Regardless of what happens the rest of this day, tomorrow, your purpose will stay the same. Your droplet going to that lake. Oh, it may deviate, you know, some lamb might come and try and drink you. I have no idea what goes on with droplets. But your purpose eventually is to fill that lake. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. I think that's one of the the strongest lines in the Bible. You, you think you can be my disciple and not pick up the purpose I made you with? You can't. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation, he's not able to finish. All who see begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. You know, I, I do... Th- think that um, when I think of this, I've heard a lot of illustrations of how to understand this, but for me, it's like I can tell people I'm a believer, I trust in God. What if they torture me, threaten to kill me? Do I change what I believe? Or do I finish what I believe? Do I stay the course? Do I, otherwise, they'll mock me later and say, he didn't understand what it was to be a believer. If you really know Jesus Christ, would you ever forsake him? If you really knew him? Say what Peter did. Did Peter really know him at that point? Or did Peter have a misidea of who he was? Did Peter think he was a physical king that was going to rule? Or did he really know Jesus? 
See, I think Jesus knew that he didn't know him, so let's put him through the ringer a little bit. Eventually, there's that precious moment where Jesus finds him and asks Peter if he loves him. And Peter is totally embarrassed, no doubt. But you know what's the coolest thing about that, that little interaction there? It was Jesus saying to Peter, It's pretty good it's not about you, Peter, huh? You're a failure. Go make it about me. The droplets are about me. They're not about you, Peter. Because if you're going to look at you, you're going to see failure over and over and over and over and over again. You're going to see failure. And you're really not going out there to tell people about how failed you are. You're going to tell them about my mercy, my love. Now, that may come out in the story, I understand. But Peter, I keep, whenever I read that passage, I almost hear Jesus under his breath, which is not written and not inspired. But I hear him say, it's pretty good it's not about you, Peter. Just pretty good it's not about you. And I keep thinking, you know, God, I can make it about you regardless. I can. I could be sick and make it about you. I could be poor and make it about you. We could be in the middle of COVID, have nobody here in January. And we can still make it about him. It's not about us. The droplets don't make it about them. It's about filling the sea. And if not, while the other is still great off, he sends a delegation. He's talking about that planning. Second, second point I want to make in feeding the river. There can easily be distractions, acceptable distractions, that steal our focus. I would ask you to understand what we're about, what you're about. We're really about knowing Christ, making him known. Understand what you're about personally within that. And don't, don't get your focus off where it belongs. You get in trouble when you do that. You lose focus, you're in trouble. The, the interesting thing about Satan is whenever he begins to work, he works in an acceptable manner that we've set up for him. An acceptable manner. You know, if, if he wants to use the internet, it's because you have internet, you don't have the guards up there, whatever it might be. So he works in an acceptable manner to you. So, so what you realize is that he tries to move you, but he's got a long-range plan. It's not, I mean, I'm sure if Satan could destroy you or me in a moment, he would try it. But really, he probably couldn't walk up to what? Uh, Linda, and say to her, I want you to murder your husband right now. Here's a knife. Linda would say, that's stupid. Get out of here. Right? That, that's too overt. But maybe you can get somebody to slander somebody and begin to hate them and begin to do it another way. Something that's acceptable to you right now. I don't know. Here's, here's what I do know through life and I think as I read the Bible, is that Satan's at work, and he's so good at what he does, we probably don't know how he's working. That, that's probably, and without God protecting us, we have no protection. He knows what Satan's up to. He does. Uh, the book we wrote, you know, My Shepherd, the whole idea there for me, the, the overwhelming idea that, that just keeps coming to me is proximity, proximity, proximity. The sheep are only safe if they're next to the shepherd. That's it. That is it. And then I keep saying to God, thank you. Thank you for not making it that hard. <laughs> if all I got to do is stay next to you and I'm safe, I can do that. I don't think I can fight off the wolves. I don't think I can fight off the... Uh, but I can, you know, shall I focus as a lamb on the things I can't do? I can't scare a wolf. I can't outrun him. I can't fight him. So I focus on that, and my whole life will be what? Fearful, angry. Why didn't God gift me with big claws and fast? And why am I such a furball? I fall down, I can't even get up. If I focus on that stuff, what kind of life do I have? But if I focus on my proximity, so the question is, to keep us from being easily distracted, what is it that causes your proximity to be away from God? See, it may not be something that's evil, evil, evil in your eyes, but what is it that keeps you from being as close as you should? Because that's your protection. And you know what? I would venture to say, since we're all different droplets, it's something probably different in everybody's life. So maybe something else that, you know, 
when you talk to people, there are certain things that are very important to them that I look and I go, I don't know. You, you know, Jason doing the pizzas yesterday, you know, was, that's nice. Some of the stuff he was doing, I didn't get. I don't, I don't know why he was doing that. I had to ask him, I learned, but it's like, well, probably quicker if you don't do that. You don't say that to a guy who knows what he's doing, maybe. But Satan works at diminishing our effectiveness. He, with the idea in mind that one day we're totally ineffective. But he knows he wouldn't probably stand a chance by telling you to stand up against God, because we know better than that. So it's that diminishing thing. You can be easily distracted. And again, he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases and sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God to the heal. And he said to them, listen, this is a passage you can just take home and struggle with because Jesus said this to him. He said, take nothing with you, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. You look at that and you go, this is the instructions? Why? What's wrong with a little insurance here? A little extra food, a little extra tunic. Uh, I can't picture myself in one, but I can picture Jim in one. It's not a good sight. But can you imagine? I mean, why did Jesus say this? Why did he want people going out that, that weren't prepared to take care of themselves physically? Hmm. Take nothing for your journey. This isn't really fancy Greek or anything. This is pretty simple. Take nothing for your journey. No staff, no bag, nor bread, nor money. Do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there. And from there, depart. That's one of those statements I don't get in the Bible. That makes sense. I mean, go stay somewhere, and when you leave, you leave. I, but I guess it must have some significance that I'm missing. And whenever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel, healing everywhere. It's just interesting. The whole situation is interesting. Why not? And what's with the dust thing? You know, well, it, it's interesting. It's like, oh, you can go and complain about these people. Sometimes we're overly dramatic. You complain about these people. Don't take care of you like they should. Just go knock the dust off your feet. In other words, be done with it. If, if people don't care for you like they should, be done with it. Be done with it. Don't keep going there. Don't, it's not like mud. You know, you go, I was hunting a little bit, and I went in these places. I just thought, why not? There's a swamp. There must be deer in there. <laughs> Everything clung to me. And then I went through a briar patch on the way out. And I'm thinking, this is getting worse. Everything clings to you. It stays with you. What is the dust thing? Don't let that stay with you. Someone treated you wrong. They didn't take care of you. They, they, don't let it stay with you. Knock it off your feet and get out of there. Go on. Why? Because you never depended on them in the first place. And I'm reminding you of that because I don't want you to have any extra anything. I want you to be reminded always that you depend on me. And by the way, I'm worthy of you to be depending on me. I'll care for you. Sometimes I, I think that we as Americans might ask, at, at what level will you care for me? Do we really need to ask that? You know, I'll care for you. I was talking to a guy who had some money once, and he was just saying, you know, I don't know, man, money consumes me. I said, well, there's one thing you could do. He goes, what, give it away? Get rid of it. He goes, you can't do that. I said, why? If it keeps you from the king? If it keeps you from God? You think one day you're going to stand before God and go, phew, I kept my money and I didn't know who you were. And that'll be a good thing? That's not a good thing. Am I against you having money? You heard me earlier. I'm not against people having money. The Bible doesn't say don't have money. Don't be distracted. If, if having too much stuff distracts you, get rid of the stuff. It's easy because it sneaks up on you. I, there's been at least twice in my life since we've been here that I've, I just kind of cleaned house of all the toys. You know, some of it were my, my father-in-law had a couple of snowmobiles, and, you know, I ended up only starting them for my daughters for one trip a year, and then I had to maintain them. And do it. 
And before you know it, you're maintaining a boat, you're maintaining snowmobiles. You're <laughs> it's like, these things own me. They're gone. I remember so struggling with it, though. Should they be gone? Yeah, they should be. They should be. It's interesting that God said, take nothing with you. Don't have a distraction in life. I don't know what your distractions might be, but God would say, anything that's keeping you from enjoying me and loving me and walking with me, you need to evaluate not having it around. If your money controls you and consumes you, you need to get rid of it. If, or to change. I mean, the other thing is to somehow figure out how to not let it have that happen. Again, God's the one that teaches and moves us in that area. It's fun when we learn to serve because we love God and we love people because the Bible's clear about that. When your motive's right, it's not money that motivates you. It's not money. It's the droplet thing. It's, it's listening and loving God. It's, it's not evil to have money, but the money isn't what motivates you. Luke 14, 13, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. Listen to that line. Here's why you're going to be blessed. They can't repay you. They can't give you anything for what you just did. And God said, then you've got it. Wow. What a wonderful heart. Uh, the obvious one is adoption, or you think about those who adopt a child, a child. I mean, you, give them, you make the choice, you do it. It's, it's a wonderful act of what God does to you and me. But, but here the idea is, you know what, you, you know you'll get it when, when you're not concerned with the personal payback. You know you, you've arrived as the droplet to what you're supposed to do because you just did what you're supposed to do. And you know what might happen? Some of you, when you do what you're supposed to do, some of you might be multimillionaires. You might be... CEO of uh, something. You're just doing what I put you on here to do, and that was your thing. Somehow you tripped into there, and this guy liked you, and you hired you, you know, whatever. You still represent me there. You're still a drop. Like going to the, don't forget that. And some of you, by the way, might be called to a mission field where you're going to make 30 bucks a month. Doesn't matter. Because you get up every day, whether you're rich or whether you're poor, if you really have a relationship with God and love him, and you do things because they're right, because you love God and you love people, not because you get paid back because you did it. You did it because it was right. And I say, well, aren't you supposed to get paid if you work? Yeah, Bible makes that clear. If you don't work, you don't eat. You're supposed to be out there working. But the purpose in life is not just to eat. It's to glorify God, the droplet thing. And whoever gives to one of these little ones, even a cup of water, because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, He'll by no means lose his reward. You, don't worry about losing anything down here by taking care of those who can't take care of themselves. You know, I, again, I think the Lord uses strange things in my life to help me learn that. You've heard my story about, you know, the blackberries and how my daughters harassed me wanting my blackberries that I go spend forever picking. And i got to learn to give them. There's something, I've got blackberries in my freezer, like two, three years old. I'm not giving them up. <laughs> you got to learn to give them. You got to learn. You got to learn to look and to evaluate and to say, God, you gave me this so that I could give it away, not so I could hoard it for me. I'm not going to do it because I get something out of it. I'm going to do it because I love you, God. I love them, so I'm going to do this. And again, in the process, some get paid great, some don't. You can read the parable in Luke 14. It is the great banquet. You know, I mean, those who are invited didn't come, so you get others that you invite. The third point, feeding the river, filling the sea, just the idea of making them known. We have different gifts, different positions, we enjoy those. We rejoice in those. We, we are people that have minimized our distractions so that we can fill the sea, so that we can do this, so that we can make him known. That's the goal. 
the first part of that is to know him, obviously. If you listen to any of the podcasts, one of the things I do on the nighttime podcast a lot is say, you know, if you're disappointed with God, you don't know him. I must have said it a thousand times on there. You know, it's just, that's the way it is. If you're disappointed with him, you just don't know him. I, the answer isn't to do some religious thing. It's get to know God. Then you're not disappointed in him. And, and the way you do that is spend time with him. And, and once you know him, it, it's our job to make him known. That's our job then. That's the, that's the droplet's purpose is to make him known. Knowing that after we make him known, very well could be that droplet enters St. Mary's River and we're no longer a part of that lake. Because we did our job. We filled the lake for the time that we were supposed to fill it. You know, we're talking about some of the staff getting older and that's always a hard thing to, to deal with in a certain way because... Honestly, in my brain, I just got here. I've been 50, 54 years. It feels like we just started this thing. I don't know what happened in all those years. Just talking about getting older is like, really? Who's got older? Oh, I know we have. There's going to come a time where each of the droplets that's here will head towards St. Mary's River. But the lake will be full. And the ministry will go on. And maybe many years from now, there'll be a little yellow booklet that talks about the history somewhat. Our job is to make them known. And one of the best ways to make Christ known is to live through the difficult times in a way that's visible to those around you of your love and your trust for God. You do that by example. We don't do that necessarily with words. We do that by example. We make them known by having solid relationship with God. We make them known by having solid relationships with our spouses. We, we make them known by having solid relationships with our children. We make them known by not having distractions, by working hard, by giving to those who can't give back. That's how you make them known. Not about making us known. Matthew 28, 16, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, you know, this seems to always be there. Some didn't, some. And then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Boy, that's a statement and a half. I mean, he's just reminding them, I'm God. What, why does he have to do that? Listen to what I say next. I'm God. This is right, what I say next. This is, this is all authoritative right here because I am God. Then Jesus said to him, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Therefore, this is what you do. Go make disciples. You go make followers. That's your job, Droplet. Go make followers. The way you make followers is by including people in your life and being demonstrative. Show them, demonstrate who Jesus is. Not in our culture. You can't talk. There's too many words in our culture, too many social media stuff, too many, too many of that. that that's not going to change anyone's mind. Live it. God says, therefore, go make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them, teaching them what? Teaching them to obey. Obey what? Everything that I've commanded. Everything that I've commanded. I would encourage each of you, be that person who stays in the word, wants to know God, and wants to know what he says, and live in a way that demonstrates that you do that, that you know that. Look yourself for ways to apply his word and live in front of other people. If you're mentoring somebody, take it seriously. Um, before my mentor, my mentee left, uh, his sister was our prime work with, and she came, and he wanted me to meet her, so we sat down and talked for a little bit, and she was talking about the mentors that she's had. I guess she's had mentors in life, and she said, yeah, it's, it's been kind of a waste of time having mentors. Told me why, you know. They... It re-energized me to think, what am I doing here? What am I doing with with him? What am, how am I living in a way that demonstrates to him the principles that God wants me to demonstrate? It's not just about buddying up. 
It's about teaching him to obey everything that God commanded me. Sometimes I look at it, I, I should teach you about everything that God commanded you. No, 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 no. I, I teach you everything that God commanded me. In other words, it starts here in this droplet. I start by listening to God. And I want to, and I'm thinking as, I, as I'm listening. Appreciate Brad sharing. You know, he had something where he was touched by, I want to share that. See, that's what you do. You, you say, God, you're teaching me something. I want to share it with you. And you do that. And God said, that's what I have you doing. If you're making disciples, that's your mind frame. Your mind frame is, did you learn something today? I would ask each of you, if you learn something, and you should every day, you should be in God's word. Do you have a way, somebody, somewhere where you can teach it? Give it out? My dad used to tell me all the time, until you teach it, you don't know it. That was his philosophy. If, if you know, he meant it, because when you were in freshman high school, you became a Sunday school teacher. You would teach up here at camp. He was a firm believer. Until you taught it, you didn't get it. When I learn something, I need to be thinking, how am I going to put this in a way where the people in my life can understand it? Whether I'm mentoring somebody, whether it be one of the young children that run around, whether it be another staff how do I put it in a way where they can understand what I just learned? Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then this next line is so precious. And surely I am with you always. Proximity, proximity. I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I'm, don't worry about it. I'm not leaving you. I'm with you. This is the job I'm giving you, but you're not on your own, Droplet. I'll make sure. You stay by me, and I'll get you to the sea. I'll guide you through the sea, that 191 years or whatever it takes. And not only that, I'll guide you out. Some of you will get taken out of the sea early. My dad did, 60. That Droplet left. There's a lot of Droplets to come. We're still here. We're still droplets. You've heard me teach these things and have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. I love this verse in 2 Timothy. Now teach these truths to trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. I would ask that when you learn something in this year to come, that you not only learn it and say, boy, that's good that I know that, but you learn it in a way where you pass it on to somebody, but not just pass it on to them, but pass it on to them in a way where they can actually teach it. It's different to give somebody information. It's another thing to have them teach it. I remember when I uh, took care of the horses up here for years, we used to have a program where kids would get a certificate. I don't know if we did that while you were here, Ben, for taking care of the horses for three days. But we actually gave them a certificate if they took care of the horses for three days, and it was kind of an interesting little certificate. It pretty much meant they had to show up and saddle the horse, and it, they did things that we had to be there for anyway, but... You know, it was cool. They had to water the horse. They had to feed the horse. You know, all that kind of stuff. And what I found was, was that I can teach a kid all I want how to saddle a horse by having them watch me, but it's another story to have them throw that saddle on that horse. See, one, I can teach them. I can say, I taught you. And the kid still may not know how to put a saddle on a horse. But I taught him. I haven't taught him until I've taught him. And then... The minute I teach them, the minute they get it, I usually would say to them, can you teach that other child how to do this? The strategy was right here. You teach in a way where they have to teach. They'll never forget it. We're not just here to teach so that somebody gets it. We're here to teach so that they get it as a droplet and they pass it to another one. And that, you teach differently that way. You don't teach the same. You teach looking for those opportunities. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, Be therefore followers of God, as dear children, and walk in his love, as Christ also loved us, and he has given himself an offering a, and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. 
Be followers. I can do that. When I teach leadership here to the uh, MBI students, I, I always tell them the very first most important quality of a good leader is that they're a good follower. You need to follow God. You cannot be a good leader unless you're a good follower. If, if you're not a good follower, you cannot lead. You, you must follow. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. If there was a verse I would have for us in the year to come, it would be this one. Let's follow his example as we follow. We're, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. We're mentoring somebody, we're working with somebody. The Apostle Paul originally, I think, had the guts to tell Timothy, imitate me. If you just read that on the surface, you think, what an arrogant guy, imitate me. No, he understood how it works. I need to imitate Jesus, and I need to live my life knowing that they will imitate me. They will. And then I need to be able to stand before God accountable for how they imitate me. Now, again, if they deviate and do something else, that God knows that. But as far as my life goes, I need to live in a way where they can imitate. And that's what our challenge is. We're, uh, we're droplets. The purpose of the droplet of the river is to fill the sea. I'm going to um, close with this. It's not really a poem, but Linda's uncle, Vic, which most of you don't know, and... Um, He's the one, uh, Dan would remember this, some Steve might. Um, he's the one that gave us the dump truck and the two bands at that one time, the white bands. and the, it, Uncle Vic, we called him. Um, well, he, he loves writing, and he's very philosophical in his writing. Nobody wants his writing but me, but as far as I know. But he, he has some poems and writing that he did, and he actually wrote on rivers and droplets. Let me read it to you. Great rivers are formed from many tributaries, rivulets flowing into creeks, creeks emptying into streams which join to rivers, the lesser into the greater, meeting and merging into the greatest, which lends its name to their watershed, whose basin feeds the delta at its mouth. They which are many in the end are only one. So it is with us. Uncounted multitudes and counted years streaming in an endless tide towards tomorrow's sea. But in that surging to the sea, we are each distinct, each a separate drop, wet with the oneness of the sea, but separate, individual, each created being and identity, and identify, define assimilation, for God knows each drop in his sea from its first forming until the tiniest rivulet. And at the end, where the current meets the sea, the loving hands of God dip into the water and cup it heavenward to the final home above the earth and all the seas below. The idea of the individuality, the sameness, the difference. The enjoyment of the difference, the enjoyment of the sameness. It's our responsibility to stay close to the king. I wish I could have a very good idea of what this next 12 months will hold. The honest truth is nobody does, and it's been as crazy as it can be the last 24. But I do know that we're still droplets going to the sea. And regardless of the circumstances, we'll be all right. No, we, we don't know 12 months from now we gather again. We don't know who will be in this room. We don't, we don't know what the situation will be. But we're droplets. We're, our job will be the same. Regardless, if 12 months, those that are here, what we, the job will be the same. I'm thankful to God for the opportunities we've had during this COVID time. The parents who have expressed themselves, at least to me, have been more than thankful that their kids have had a place. Even if it's a, a small number, they've been thrilled that they had a place. Kids have come to Christ here during COVID. We should be thankful and look forward to what he's going to do. 
I keep saying, you know, God has provided in such a miraculous way that he must have plans for the future because I, who knows? It doesn't make any sense. But I do know how insignificant I am and you are in making sure that we're cared for. We're just a droplet. Stay close, stay focused, and let's enjoy the ride. And as the lake gets filled, enjoy the fact that your droplet was a part of it. You join Paul Rader and Billy Sunday and Art Rohrheim, Doc Latham, join those droplets. Well, you won't. They're gone. They're in the river already over the Lake Huron. But we're still in the, in the lake. And we can, our flow can drag a lot of other droplets this way. Father, thank you that we could meet today. Thank you for each staff member, for each unique personality, for being our savior, our shepherd. I pray that you will work in each of our hearts on a daily basis. Draw us to yourself. Give us opportunities to continue to point the world to you. We are probably the most privileged people in the world. And that we work in a place that has a clear vision of who you are. And we get to show who you are on a daily basis in this place. I pray you keep us healthy, that you continue to give us opportunities, and that you continue to show yourself and your provision. For we don't trust the money in the bank that could be gone or devalued tomorrow. We trust you. And we thank you that you are worthy of trust. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.